All right, Ray, welcome to episode number six of Growing Your Successful Podcast, the podcast all things small business. And as you can see, it's just me this week, so I apologize for that. I don't have anybody here to uh, to dazzle you with their knowledge. It's just me this week. Um, so first of all, let me just remind you, you can find our information at brianlharding.com, growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com. You can email me at brian at brianlharding.com. And uh, ordinarily, this is where I'd introduce the guest, but since I'm the guest this week, I'll tell you why I'm doing this solo. First of all, right now, as you hear this, I'm three time zones away, so that was not going to be very convenient for Sadie to uh, do the engineering for us while we're in a different time zone. Um, but I also thought it was kind of appropriate to take take one uh, minute here and just kind of explain why I'm doing this um, you may find yourself asking, why the hell should I listen to this guy? Uh, what makes him think he's so smart? And uh, what, <laughs> what, what, why is he on a podcast bloviating about small business and all that kind of stuff? And, or what could I possibly learn about my business from a plumber? First of all, I'm not a plumber, uh, although I do uh, uh, own a plumbing business with some other fantastic folks. Um, so let me tell you about why I'm doing this, and uh, uh, hopefully I can be entertaining enough to keep you in, in, uh, engaged for the next uh, few minutes here and, and kind of explain what my path has been to get here and why I think this is important. Um, first of all, in our business, we've made a ton of very expensive mistakes. Like, I don't mean like $3,000 mistakes. We've made a ton of those too. But we've made a ton of, you know, $70,000 mistakes and $90,000 mistakes and uh, um, I just wouldn't feel right going through life, keeping all that stuff a secret. Um, we've had some success, and our, our company is growing and thriving, and we have a great team of folks, and things are going well. And I kind of see it as uh, almost an obligation to share this information with folks um, because it, I, would, I would really feel bad about somebody making the same mistake that we made that cost us you know, $28,000 or whatever, and hearing about that later on from somebody and going, oh, if I didn't, if I would have known better, I wouldn't have done that. And uh, so, I started out doing some classes a couple years ago, and uh, the classes were well attended. And surprisingly to me, I didn't expect people would pay two hundred dollars to come listen to me put on a four-hour seminar, and they did. Um, we had about eighty people at that first one. Um, I've done some other speaking gigs, and uh, those have been pretty well attended. Um, and I started doing some one-on-one -on -one coaching with people, not for a fee, uh, necessarily, um, but just folks who would have questions about stuff. And, uh, I would have conversations with people where they would bring specific problems and say, Hey, I've been in business for six months or I've been in business for 27 years and here's the problem I'm facing. And, um, we would come up with solutions and they would leave really excited that we found solutions and they would, you know, kind of have a plan that they would check back in and keep me, you know, kind of apprised of how things were going with the solutions that we came up with. And I find myself oftentimes after those conversations going, man, I wish I would record that conversation because this is a pretty generic problem that a lot of folks are going to face, whether it be HR or, or you know, hiring or, um, you know, managing salespeople or, you know, whatever. Um, and I wish I we were to record this conversation because it would be good information for lots of folks to have, not just this one person. And uh, in my life, I've had some absolutely fantastic mentors uh, kind of guide me in some ways um, that there's no way I would be here um, if I wouldn't have had that. And not everybody necessarily has those mentors in their lives. And so um, I kind of figured, well, okay, the, the classes were well attended. Uh, the folks are getting some benefit from the one-on-one -on -one stuff I'm doing. Um, let's just do a podcast and see where it goes. 
So I don't have any uh, super big expectations of this other than I've committed to doing it for a year. Um, if at the end of the year I'm still enjoying it and I can at least break even doing it, it's not free to do this. It does cost money. Uh, if I can break even and I'm still enjoying it and there's an audience who apparently wants to hear the stuff that I ha the folks I have on you know talk about, then I'll keep doing it. And after, after a year, if those three things aren't happening, then you know maybe it just wasn't meant to be. Um, but I found that for a lot of business owners and managers, they are really good at their widgets. They're good at making their widgets and selling their widgets, and their widget could be a service or a, or a product. But they're really well-versed at that. But they aren't necessarily well-versed on things like accounting and legal and banking and HR. I would say most people aren't even aware of how scared they should be about HR stuff. Um, they're not aware of inventory management practices and process improvement and safety and quality and managing people and on and on and on. And um, so I, I think that I've got, fortunately, I have a background that is pretty well-rounded. My, my experience prior to starting a business uh, did encompass a lot of those things. I did get education in a lot of those things that, that many folks um, don't necessarily. Um, but this is also a little tricky. It's, it's not like I'm Bill Gates. I'm not uh, Jeff Bezos. It's not like I'm sitting on some billion-dollar empire and I'm just looking to get my name in Fortune magazine. That's certainly not the case. Um, I just feel like I'm a guy who's been a, a part of a successful team of people, and I have some information to share. And I'm not doing this because of my ego. I'm not doing this because uh, I'm trying to flatter myself. And this could easily be, be misconstrued as kind of a braggadocious kind of a thing that I'm doing just, just to hear myself talk. And I, I promise you that's not really the, the case. Um, I don't have a massive ego to feed. Um, I'm just putting the information out there. And if folks get some benefit from it, fantastic. And if they don't, that's okay. Like I said, I'm, I'll do it for a year, and uh, we'll see where it goes from there. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about me. I'm only going to talk about my career for the most part. I'm not going to get much into my family and all that kind of stuff. Um, I doubt that would be very interesting to many of you. Uh, I do have a wonderful, beautiful wife, Stacy. Um, to say I'm overchicked would be a massive understatement. Uh, uh, I definitely married up, as my buddy Mike would say. And uh, uh, between us, we have four great kids, and uh, they've all got different paths that they're on. They're all uh, three of the four are grown. There's one that's got one more year. He's got a good plan for his life and a career he wants to pursue. Um, so I won't get a whole lot into that stuff because that's not really what this is about. This is this is more about uh, business and careers and things like that. So uh, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a life history. I'm going to try to be brief because I know that's not super entertaining for a lot of folks. But I'm going to tell you a few things I think you might find interesting. Um, one of the things is, uh, to my best recollection, between kindergarten and 12th grade, I went to somewhere between um, 13 and 16 schools. Uh, something like that. I went to four schools my kindergarten year. And uh, no, I wasn't a military kid. I'm always asked if I was a military kid being bounced around from one base to another. And that, that was not the case. It's a long story, and I'm not going to get into it here, but ask me sometime if you really care, and I'll, I'll tell you the story some other time. Um, as I went through school, especially in junior high and high school, I was kind of a peculiar student. I, uh, I took the ASVAB test because I wanted to go in the Marine Corps when I graduated. And uh, uh, that was my goal, was to go to the Marine Corps. I'll get into that in a second. And I, I took the ASVAB test, which is kind of the military version of an SAT. I scored in the 94 percentile on the test, which was exceptionally high. It, that's, that's a pretty good score. Um, but I also failed seventh grade. 
<laughs> and uh, I don't think my kids even know that, but uh, I guess they do now. But um, in seventh grade, I got Fs in English, Math, Science, and Social Studies, or Science, yeah, whatever. And I got As in Computer Science and Woodshop. And so that kind of gives you an idea of where, where my priorities were then. Uh, we moved out to Enumclaw, and I got the, the privilege of doing seventh grade over again. But it wasn't because I wasn't smart enough. At it, I just there was other things going on, and and uh, I just you know school wasn't my my focus at that time. I guess. Uh, so I wanted to go to the Marine Corps, and I wanted to be an MP, and I wanted to be a drill sergeant, and I was going to retire after 20 years, and uh, I was going to get a job at the State Patrol. I thought that'd be a lot of fun, and at that time, at least, the State Patrol had a mandatory retirement age of 55. So I thought, okay, well, at 55, I'll have two retirements coming in, two government retirements coming in. And uh, at 55, I'll have you know life kind of where I want it, and I'll live happily ever after. Problem is, I tore my ACL playing football my senior year, and I couldn't pass the Marine Corps physical. I couldn't do the duck walk because I had metal screws in my knee that wouldn't allow my knee to bend that far. So um, they told me that I could take the screws out and uh, probably pass the physical. The problem is, the insurance companies pay to put screws in your body. They don't necessarily pay to take them out when it's not medically necessary. So that was going to be about a $40,000 adventure to take those things out, and it might work and it might not. So I decided against that, and I just figured that, okay, well, the Marine Corps wasn't for me, and that was just, that's just the way it was going to be. So I, I, took, I had a couple, you know, eh, so-so jobs after I graduated from high school. My first real job uh, came in April the next year. Uh, this is April 1994. Um, and I got a job in the steel industry, and it was a Teamster job, and I was 19, and I was super excited about it. So now I went from going to be retired at 55 with two pensions. I was going to be retired at 52 with the Teamster 84 and out program, which it worked where the number of years you were in the union plus your age, as soon as that hit 84, you could retire. So that would have put me at retiring at age 52. Um, anyhow, so my plan was then to now retire at 52 and live happily ever after. Uh, and then something happened that really changed my entire life trajectory, and that was the simple little thing. It's funny how simple little things change your life, but um, at, that, at that company, a, st a steel business, we, uh, um, we got a new software program, a new inventory management program, and um, the entire company shifted to using that. And so guys out in the warehouse and the plant in the manufacturing, or, or not manufacturing, but the uh, processing equipment, went from writing out work orders to explain what they were doing to things to using a computer. And uh, believe it or not, back in the mid-90s, a lot of guys who were in their 40s, 50s, and 60s weren't super good at using computers. And uh, I was young enough, and I, wasn't, I wouldn't say I've ever been like a really IT guy. I don't, I don't build computers. I don't understand a lot of stuff, uh, how that stuff works. But I could type. Remember my A in, in computer science, I, I know how to type. And uh, um, I picked it up pretty rapidly. And what that did was it, it exposed me to um, some senior leaders in management in the company uh, beyond just the leads in the, in the warehouse and, and uh, beyond even just the operations manager, the plant manager. Um, it, it exposed me to the, the other senior uh, leaders in the company. And I was able to um, be mentored by the first three really, really important people in my career. And uh, they're probably not listening, but I'll tell you who they are anyway. Uh, one was Bill Garner. He was the plant manager. Uh, another one was Dave McCarroll. He was the process improvement manager. And uh, 
Mike Woodard was the purchasing manager. And all three of them independently kind of took me under their wings and uh, uh, started sh- teaching me stuff. And again, I'm a, I'm a low-level Teamster guy. I was a crane operator, I think, at this time, um, you know, running a big bridge crane to pick up 30,000-pound pieces of steel with magnets and co- other cool stuff like that. Um, but now I'm doing stuff where I'm actually, like, using my brain and not my back, and that was pretty exciting. And so um, it wasn't long until I started getting involved in creating processes and and having to be a leader of my peers and even people who had much more seniority than me. So after five years, I left the union to become a salaried employee, and my title at that time, I think, was Process Improvement Coordinator, which was a fancy way of saying um, when things went wrong and there was errors, um, I was one of the guys who got involved to try to dissect the errors and try to figure out how to not make that mistake again. So um, when that kind of thing wasn't going on, my my day-to-day stuff was filled literally for months writing procedures. And I don't know if you've ever written a procedure before or not, but it's not super exciting work. Um, Writing procedures means you literally say, if you're going to you you write an invoice, here's how you write the invoice. Once the invoice is written, this person carries it to this person. And then that person does X, Y, Z with it. And you document every one of those steps. Every one of those steps. And uh, again, not super exciting, that's for sure. But it did teach me how to how important processes and procedures were. And uh, it also that job also exposed me to uh, purchasing and inventory management. Um, within a year or two, I was I was responsible for about $9 million worth of inventory. Um and it exposed me to HR and managing people. And um, managing people in a union environment is is challenging. It's challenging. Like uh, last week, you heard Mac talking about getting people on board and sharing the vision and problem solving. And um, sometimes that's successful in those environments, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes they're adversarial, and sometimes they're very cohesive. Uh, anyhow, it um, um, it was educational. I'll put it that way. And I also got into quality and process improvement, like I said. Um, and so um, we got into measuring things, uh, you know, how many errors do you have per X amount of attempts and all that kind of stuff, and uh, began to get an understanding of, of what it was like to track those kinds of things. And so then I moved on to a supervisory position. I was a second shift supervisor, and I was no question the absolute worst supervisor in the history of supervisors. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Roadhouse, but in that movie, Patrick Swayze's a bouncer of a crappy bar in Kansas City, and he has to have an old piece of crap car that he drives to work because they smash his windows out and they they slash his tires and things like that. Um, I literally had to have a Roadhouse car to drive to work. Uh, They put my car up on blocks. Uh, They would park behind me so that I couldn't get out. Um, There was times where I literally wasn't sure if I was going to make out the parking lot okay. Uh, in the steel business back in the 90s and early 2000s even, um, this was by and large a pretty rough and tumble group. These are guys, many of which worked at the Alaska Pipeline and kind of came down after that heyday was over with. And they had no aversion to settling disputes in the parking lot, even with their boss. Uh, That was still a pretty okay way to handle things um, in many cases. And I said stupid things, and I didn't know how to motivate people. And I did stupid things. I did, I did this one thing when I first took the job. It was, it's really funny now, but it seemed like it was really magnanimous back then, and it was really stupid. But on payday, I would walk around, and the deal was back then, but you didn't really – you had direct deposit, but you still had to get your paycheck delivered. 
and uh, the supervisors walk around at the end at the end of the night on on uh, payday and hand out hand out uh, paychecks. And I made a point to shake everybody's hand and say thanks a lot for the you know thanks a lot for the last two weeks. You did a great job. And I I didn't realize how stupid that was until um, a few months in when somebody said, "Why do you do this? This really makes it awkward for you to give me my paycheck. I wish you'd just give me my paycheck and walk away and not say anything." <laughs> um, and I had I had a lot of ideals and I had a lot of ambition and I was uh, supervising a group of folks who were on second shift in many cases because they didn't want to have supervision they wanted to be there when the office was closed and the managers weren't there and here I come with my ideals and my my uh, ambition and they hated me they absolutely hated me and uh, uh, to make things worse I was stubborn and bullheaded and. Uh, and the more they pushed back on me being there, the more I thought that I needed to crack the whip and get things fixed so that they would get on board. And uh, hence the Patrick Swayze Roadhouse car. Um, anyhow, so it, it uh, uh, I had to learn from a lot of those mistakes. Uh, and that's the most important thing is all these blunders I made, I did learn. I did stop shaking their hands on payday, and I did stop saying stupid things, and I stopped doing stupid things. And I really... Uh, learn from the three mentors I mentioned earlier, Bill, Dave, and, and Mike, and um, really learn how to, to manage folks and, and successfully build teams and uh, get folks to want to do things and not crack them over the head and tell them they have to do things. Um, I left the steel industry in the year 2000-ish. Uh, uh, there was massive layoffs going on. There was a bunch of fun tariff stuff going on in the late 90s, kind of like there is now. Um, and uh, one day I laid off 14 people on my shift, and it became pretty apparent that uh, if there wasn't a second shift, you didn't need a second shift supervisor, So, and that was me. And uh, quite frankly, the steel industry at that time, and I don't know about now, but at that time, my future did not appear to have a very high earning potential. So um, while I enjoyed the things I was doing and I enjoyed the, the education I was getting, um, it just seemed like if I didn't find something else, I was going to be in trouble and my family was going to be in trouble. So I took a job as a first-year plumbing apprentice, and I and I took a 50% pay cut at the same time. I went from being a supervisor in a manufacturing kind of setting, pretty cush job physically, to uh, uh, digging ditches for a living. And my first day, I hand-dug a eight-foot-deep hole to access a sewer line um, so that the plumber could fix it. That was my first day, and I was sore, to say the least. And the whole, about the second half of the day, I, I just kept asking myself, what the hell did you do? What did you do? What were you thinking? Uh, but what I was thinking was I was 24 or something like that, 26, whatever I was, and, and uh, it seemed like, okay, well, I was young enough to recover from making a massive career change, and so it was all going to work out. Um, I worked for that company, that new plumbing company. I worked for about six months until I realized I couldn't work there anymore. And um, again, I knew nothing about plumbing when I got in the industry. So I just, I literally opened the Seattle Times and re you know replied to one ads back in the days when you used to do that kind of thing. And uh, uh, the company I picked, just we our values just didn't match. You know, it was not the kind of place I could refer my mother to. You know, so um, that was just it wasn't going to work. So then I went to work for a national plumbing company. And uh, after a couple years of, of working there, uh, I, and I started making good money, and uh, I enjoyed what I was doing, I had a shoulder injury, and I came in after being gone for about six weeks on, on uh, uh, L&I and, and, you know, massage therapy and all that good stuff. And I walked in the office one day, 
And it was, it was, it just kind of occurred to me all at once. I looked around and I said, you know what? There's not anybody who's a plumber that's 70. Um, this may not be a good long-term plan for me. And uh, since then, by the way, I've met plenty of 70-year-old plumbers, but no, there was none there at that time. And so um, I, be, you know, I had a, the injury and it really limited some of the stuff I could do. And uh, so I went back to work in the steel business again for the same company uh, in the steel business. And I continued working during the day doing part-time for the plumbing company, um, doing estimating and things like that. And so I'm working from like 8 o'clock in the morning until 2 for the plumbing company, and I'm working from 3 or so till midnight for the, the steel company. And then I got a job working at AMPM on weekends. And so um, I went about 10 months without a day off. And uh, there's a bunch of reasons why I had to do that. But I was um, my point is I wasn't afraid to work, and I wasn't afraid to learn um, and then I got a good break. Um, the the plumbing company had a uh, well. I saw. Yeah, I, I did that ten month stint where I worked those three jobs, and then I finally enough of that, and I I just focused on the the steel in, uh, company, and uh, and uh, so I quit the other two jobs, and then um, but I stayed. I had a lot of good friends in the plumbing company and plumbing world and things like that, and a commercial sales job came available at the, the plumbing company, and so this was my chance. I, it was a way to to stay in an industry where you could make good money. And uh, but not have to be digging ditches for a living, which is something I didn't care for. And around there, the Nisqually earthquake happened, and I was in a crawl. I was literally had gotten out of a crawl space about um, 12 seconds before that earthquake hit, and it kind of freaked me out. I'm not I'm not a huge fan of crawl spaces to begin with. And then when you come out of the crawl space and you see the the you know the the earth roller coastering <laughs> under your feet, uh, that kind of freaked me out. So, um, but I enjoyed the industry, so I I, uh, I took the sales job. And I was really good at it, and I did well, and uh, I enjoyed it. And so I began to learn sales, which is something I didn't really uh, have much experience in, um, coming from a manufacturing, processing, operations, purchasing, inventory control kind of background. Um, I didn't really have a sales um, uh, style. <laughs> I didn't I didn't have any uh, sales experience for sure. So I did that for a couple of years. Uh, then a good friend of mine who I worked with uh, transferred down to the Bay Area, uh, he was the AGM at the time, and so I took the assistant general manager job when he transferred. And then uh, about a year later, I became the general manager of uh, the Seattle branch of this national plumbing company. And we had around 63 employees, and we were doing about $8 million a year in revenue. And uh, I was 33 years old, and I was completely over my head. The branch was in bad shape, and, uh, uh, again, I was the youngest guy in the country doing this job. I was the youngest GM in the country at 33. And the branch was in bad shape. They weren't making any money. They were hemorrhaging employees. They were hemorrhaging money. They just weren't performing. And I'm completely way out of my element. I mean, I'm, I'm way out of my uh, my comfort zone for sure. And I didn't have the knowledge to do the job, quite frankly. The reason I took the job is because the guy who hired me was a regional manager. He oversaw the, the western half of the country. And uh, the deal was if I would take the job, but he would be there to be a mentor for me and, and coach me up on all the stuff I didn't know which was all great. And I really liked the guy. He was a fantastic guy. His name is Carl DePlessis. Um, super cool guy and another great mentor of mine. Um, the problem is the company sold about three or four or five weeks after I, I accepted the job. And they sold to a company who didn't believe in having regional managers. And so they nixed an entire level of management from the company, which included my buddy Carl. And he was now uh, down working in California and it kind of reassigned. And I was reporting directly to the vice president. 
And uh, I didn't have any of the support I needed, and I was bewildered at best on many days. And uh, um, but again, I had to learn. I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a choice. You know, like Mac talked about last week. You know, you, you when when success is your only option, you find a way to su- succeed. And so I learned accounting, and I honed my HR skills, and I learned how to do sales better, and how to teach sales, and I learned how to set pricing, and I learned how to how to know what a margin was, and how to use that to your benefit, and I learned about marketing, and I learned about risk management and safety and all that stuff that goes along with running a business. Um, but the truth is I hated my job. I really didn't like it. I didn't like the company that well. Um, my boss didn't really like me that well. He didn't pick me, and I wasn't one of his guys, and he just, yeah, he just kind of, we were kind of like the red stepchild. And I had all the responsibility of the branch, but I had none of the authority to implement anything. So anything I, th- I saw that I could do that I thought would be a positive improvement, I couldn't do because... Um, I was constantly modeling our branch after other branches. So if they'd say, okay, well, hey, this really works well in Denver. Go to Denver and see how they do it and come back and then you do that. Or in Phoenix, their whole business is, is predicated upon the success of this thing. So go to Phoenix, learn how to do this thing, and then come back and implement that. And I did that for a couple of years. And um, again, I really didn't like it. I didn't like the, the culture of the company. Um, I just didn't like a lot of things about it. It just it didn't feel good going to work anymore. And I was just tired of having all, like, all the responsibility and none of the ability to really influence anything. I was more or less just a um, uh, puppet, I guess is a good way to say it. Um, so after a couple of years of being the GM, I went to work for a, a regional plumbing company. They were uh, out of the Portland area, and they were moving up here to Tacoma. And I went to work for them just doing sales. And I, uh, I, was, I was relieved to get back to doing just sales. Um, and life was different. You know, I went from a, a well-structured, you know, several hundred million dollar a year company to a family-run business. It was kind of like going from a structured company to the Wild West. Um, that uh, that was educational in many ways. Uh, good folks. Um, and again, it just wasn't the structure I was used to. Um, I left that company for a short while, went to work for another national company for just a few months. That wasn't a good fit. I went back to the regional company out of Portland. And um, stayed there until I was laid off with a lot of other folks um, right around 2009. Um, but each, at each one of those stops, though, I learned a little bit more about running a business. Uh, I learned here's a bunch of things I liked at this, brand, at this company that Brand X didn't do, but Brand Z does. And I learned here's a ton of things at Brand Z that, oh, my God, what are they, what are they thinking? I'll never do, if I was ever in charge of people, my own business, I would never do this kind of thing. They're, they're driving people out. They're, they're, they're chasing away all their talent or... They're just, you know, making poor decisions, and um, so I got I got a little perspective of that each place I went. So I'm not I'm not unhappy I made those changes. Um, I'm a guy who likes stability. Remember, I was going to retire <laughs> after 20 years and then go to the state patrol and retire again after 20 years. That was my plan, and then I was going to retire 52 as a teamster. So I, I'm a guy who likes structure and I like stability. Um, so I wasn't enjoying moving around, but I'm in hindsight, it's probably one of the best things I did because I was able to learn from other people, you know, things that they were good at and, and quite frankly learned from mistakes they were making that even they didn't know that they were make, making those mistakes. So anyhow, it's 2009, I get laid off, and my wife at the time uh, got laid off also within six weeks or so. And this is right kind of in the beginning of the Great Recession. And uh, I found work in about six weeks working for the company that I was a GM at, <laughs> uh, the national first national plumbing company, um, I found I got a job there just doing sales, and 
within six months or something like that, I was promoted to sales manager. Um, but I still really didn't like the company and the, and the culture. I needed a job. And I was making really good money. Um, and in my personal life, things were kind of going crazy. The, the financial damage from both my wife and I at the time and me being laid off at the same time, um, she didn't find work for several months. And when she did, it was making like half as much as she was. And we were behind on our mortgage and blah, 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 blah. So my marriage doesn't survive that. My I lose my house. Uh, and I basically had to completely hit the reset button on my entire life. And uh, meanwhile, for the previous five years, my buddy Eric, who's now one of my business partners, him and I had been talking about starting our own business for about five years. Um but it was never in a serious way. It was just in the way that dudes talk about that kind of thing where, hey, someday we're going to go do this. And, you know, you're both full of shit. Nobody's ever going to really do anything. Um, it was those kinds of conversations. Um, but then Randy and I, our, our other partner we started up with, uh, it was the three of us when we first started. Uh, Randy and I started really getting serious about it in late 2010. And uh, Eric was not originally on board. Uh, he thought we were just continuing our BS conversations from previous years of how, we, oh, yeah, we're going to do this someday, but really not after actually doing anything. Um, and then, uh, um, but Randy and I picked April 2011. This is going to be our go date. And uh, we did that in late 2010, early, like January-ish, maybe 2011. And I called up Eric and I said, uh, listen, we're doing this thing. So are you on, on board or not? You know, you got you to gotta kind of make a decision here. And he goes, ah, you guys are never going to do that. And I said, dude, we're, we're doing it April 11th. And he goes, you mean you have a date picked out? I said, yeah, we got a date picked out. I'm telling you, we're doing this. We're not just talking about it. We're actually going to do it. And he goes, you can't do that without me on board. I said, that's why I'm making the phone call, you dork. Just, you know, either get on board or, or say you're not interested, you know. Um, anyhow, so then we had to go do a whole bunch of stuff we knew nothing about. You know, now I knew how to read a P&L. I knew how to teach sales. I knew how to hire people. I knew how to be compliant with the law. I didn't know how to go get a contractor's license. I didn't know how to get registered with the Secretary of State. I didn't know how to set up a call center. I didn't know how to, to uh, investigate buying dispatch software. I didn't know how to get started with QuickBooks. Um, I didn't know how to get a, a name for a company. Uh, none of us did. None of us knew any of this stuff. All this stuff was done for us when we worked at Brand X. They had already taken care of all this uh, infrastructure stuff that you got to start out with. And uh, so then uh, we, we went back to school. We got a whole education on a whole bunch of stuff we had absolutely no knowledge about. Uh, Eric was given a year by his wife. She said, if you can't make it a go in a year, you're going back to work. And, uh, um, we had a grand plan. We, uh, had studied how, how other companies, when I say studied, I mean, we had complained about how other companies did things and we had knew we had the magic bullet that was going to solve all the problems. And, um, uh, our plan was to be a strictly residential company. We weren't going to work weekends. We were going to charge a fee to come out and do estimates. We weren't going to do free estimates. Uh, all the things that we thought we had, had had solved all these problems. Like I said, we're only going to do residential. We had five commercial customers when we first started out. We had a hospital. We had a chain of retirement centers. We had a property management company, a couple other small accounts. Um, but we only going to keep that, those commercial customers, just keep us busy until we got the residential thing uh, going. And part of what we experienced in our in our planning startup phase was we met a marketing guy named Brad. And Brad had just started his own SEO company. And uh, Brad met with us, got our story, told us, you know, we told him why we were starting our own company. And the plumbing industry had really done started doing some things that were just didn't sit well with us. We didn't think we were right. And this is the industry as a whole, not any particular company. Um, 
the industry as a whole just started kind of doing things we didn't think were right. And uh, so Brad tells us he just started his own SEO company, and he's gonna we're gonna be his poster child. We're gonna be the ones he makes famous to 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 prove to the world that he's a great SEO guy. And so uh, he tells us it's gonna cost us twenty two hundred bucks a month uh, to put our marketing plan in place. And um, um, meanwhile, we had picked the name the Plumbing and Drain Company. Uh, which people often ask why we picked that name. And the reason is because we were, in 2011, we had to sound like we'd been around for 100 years. And, uh, you you know, you can't very well be Mike's Plumbing if you've been around for 100 years, you know, or something like that. And there were three of us, so it couldn't be any of our names. Um, and so then we just, okay, so we pick on the, we decided the Plumbing and Drain Company is going to be our name. And then we had to come up with colors. We picked orange and black. You may have heard me talk a couple weeks ago about how our orange and black was going to be how we were noticeable. That we were going to paint all of our trucks bright orange so you couldn't help but notice them when you drove down the street. And uh, so Brad's going to take us and make us his his uh, success story. And we're going to expose the plumbing industry for all the wrongdoings that they've been doing for the last 10 years. And um, this is going to be our big our big startup. So we have a – we have if you can picture – I wish I had pictures of it. I wish I would have saved this stuff. I never never thought about it until it was too late. We had a, a orange and black website, <laughs> so the back of the the backdrop or whatever of the the website was orange with black letters and black banners, and it was just it's it's funny now. We thought it was really serious. We thought we were on the cutting edge of marketing back then, but um, anyhow, it's funny now. So we're gonna flip the switch on at six a.m. on April eleventh, two thousand eleven. Is when we're switching, flipping the switch on Google. All of our ads are gonna go live at six a.m. on on Google, and uh, at least this is a story we've been told by our our buddy Brad. And uh, so we all show up at my house. We're we're we had uh, established global headquarters at that time, and I had gone to the, the uh, office depot and I'd bought two phones for my little desk in my living room. In case the phones were ringing so much that we couldn't handle it with just one phone, I could put somebody on hold and grab the other phone. And and uh, uh, prior to that, we were having conference calls with uh, with Brad, and he was telling us how Facebook had just launched their new uh, marketing uh, plan, and we were going to get a million impressions a month. This number is six in my head. We were going to get a million impressions a month on Facebook. And Randy and I looked at each other, and Randy literally wrote the big words on a – he was keeping notes on a piece of paper – he wrote, holy shit, exclamation point. And then he, our biggest problem was going to be, how are we going to get to all this work? And uh, uh, that, was our, that was our big concern. We're going to flip the switch, and we're going to have 37 calls our first day. And how are we possibly going to get to all this work? And how are we going to keep these people happy? And how are we going to delay them? On, you know, what, how are we going to possibly get all this done? That was our big concern. So we fast forward to April 11th. We get to Ryan House at 6 a.m. And... Uh, we're all excited. We're young. We got our coffee and we're, you know, high fiving in my living room and stuff like that. And uh, we're expecting the phone to ring, you know, certainly by eight, you know. Okay, well, certainly by nine, we'll get a phone call. No phone calls. Phones have not rang. I'm testing my phones, <laughs> calling for my cell phone, calling the landline to make sure the phones are working. What's going on? It's, 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 something's, something's wrong here. Um, Randy had a call to go to, uh, something we had set us, you know, set, sold previously with a friend. Uh, he had a small project to go take care of. So he takes off. So now it's just me and Eric, um, in my house for another hour or so. Eric gets bored and he leaves to go tell a couple of friends of his that have a pizza joint or something like that, that we start our own business. So he's going to go out and just hand out a couple of business cards and let folks know we're here. And, uh, so our phone finally rings at 6 o'clock p.m. on Wednesday. 
so we went, you know, all day Monday, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, 6 p.m. on Wednesday, we get our first call. And then we don't get any more calls after that for who knows how long. And so it was about Friday, we're on like day five, where the three of us got together and said, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? This is not working. Our $2,200 marketing plan is not working. We're not getting any phone calls. Um, what are we going to do, you know? And so now we decided, okay, well, we'll just go after commercial work until we can get the residential thing figured out. Because Eric and I had many years of experience doing commercial sales. So Eric and I literally went out um, uh, doing door-to-door sales. I don't know how else to say it. We were like the Kirby vacuum guys. We literally would just park on 5th Avenue in Seattle or 8th Street in Bellevue or 6th Ave in Tacoma. And we would just park and we would literally walk to every restaurant, every bar, every barbershop, every hair salon, every... uh, Retirement center, every hospital, every apartment complex, um, everywhere we get, anywhere we came across, we just stopped in, introduced ourselves, handed out a brochure, handed out a business card, gave them our information, told them how, how great we were, tell them about all of our years of experience in the industry, uh, leaving out the part that we were only six days old. And we literally did that for uh, a couple of years, uh, literally doing door to door sales three days a week for, for a couple of years, Eric and I. And Randy, we keep Randy busy out running the calls while him and I were making sales. Um, and then if we got a, a second call that Eric had to go to, we'd have to jam back down to wherever we met to carpool and drop him off at his rig so he could go do the call. And I would go back to making sales. And, um, uh, so that was our plan until we just got the residential thing figured out. So we, ha- we went three, we fired Brad after about four months, uh, cause we, we literally got like eight calls <laughs> or something like 12 calls or something like that in four months. And uh, now we decided we need to go work with a big, well-known, well-established marketing company who we really know what they're doing. Clearly, Brad didn't know what he was doing. So we go to talk to this company, and it's a, it's a very large company that's well-known in the marketing world. And uh, um, first thing they tell us is, your, your website's a complete pile of crap. We can't work with that. And, uh, okay, so their guy who builds websites was only going to charge us $5,400 to, uh, to build this website. Plus, then we could start talking about what our monthly fee was going to be to, to market this new website. Now, asking us for $5,400 four months in, you might as well have asked us for $5.4 million. I mean, it, it's, <laughs> it was pretty much the equivalent. Um, $5,400 was a ton of money to us back then. And uh, But, we, again, you don't have a choice, you don't have a choice. So we found a way to pay for the $5,400 website <clears throat> and then uh, began our new marketing campaign. And we signed a one-year contract with those guys. And at the end of that year, we had spent somewhere around $50,000, and we had brought in around $20,000 in revenue. So the revenue did not even pay for the marketing campaign. So we fired that company. We went to work where we hooked up with another company, um, similar deal, only instead of being fifty grand, that one was $72,000. And that one brought in, I think we, count, I think we counted that one in 12 months, brought in 39 calls throughout the course of the year. And so um, on that one, the fun thing was it was a it was a back cover of the Seattle and Bellevue Buyer's Guide. They had gotten rid of the yellow pages, and they they did this thing called the Buyer's Guide. And uh, um, we we bought the back cover because you know every every with money in Bellevue and Seattle is probably old enough that they don't they still use phone books. Probably you know if you're reaching your target audience of somebody who's between fifty and seventy years old, they're probably not using the internet yet. They're probably you know back in two thousand thirteen or fourteen or whatever. We thought they were probably using a phone book. So 
we didn't get a chance to proof that thing. And so the picture that they picked to put on our ad on the back of the Seattle and Bellevue Buyer's Guide was an illegal, what's called an S-trap, which doesn't really mean anything as far as this is, relates, but it's an illegal fitting that's not allowed anywhere in the United States as far as I can tell. How they even found a picture of this thing, I don't know. But uh, we literally got more calls from that ad from plumbers telling us how stupid we were for having an illegal fitting on our on our advertisement than we got from potential customers. <laughs> so we would get like seven to ten calls a month from plumbers telling us how, how what idiots we were, and we get like four to seven calls a month from people who were calling us to see if we could come out and take care of their plumbing problems. <laughs> so we went through a myriad of, of marketing problems. Uh, not one of our marketing campaigns ever paid for themselves. Uh, forget about paying the labor and the materials and fuel and insurance and all that stuff to go do the calls. None of our marketing plans ever even paid for themselves. Um, so we became bitter and frustrated. And meanwhile, for the first eight months, we didn't get a paycheck. We uh, um, we had to come up with a creative way to pay ourselves. And so what we did is uh, we took things that we owned that the company could use and we sold them to the company. Um I had a van that I had purchased. I sold that to the company for $600. I had a really super cool 1997 uh, Ford Taurus that was white with a round brown stripe on the sides. Um, I sold that to the company for $1,100. That was our that was our sales vehicle. But the company couldn't afford $1,100, so I had to take that out over three payments. <laughs> so every other Friday, we'd meet at uh, somewhere that was uh, in the middle for all of us. And we would uh, write each other checks for whatever equipment we sold to the company. We sold tires. We sold wheels for our vans. We sold pipe racks. We sold tools. Um, we sold anything we could have that we could get to the co- to, to transfer the company that had value that we could, we could collect a paycheck on. Um, meanwhile, we're, we're, we're wasting all this money on marketing plans that aren't working. And uh, um, we had a bookkeeper. We had hired a bookkeeper because there was things I didn't understand about taxes and you know uh department of revenue and all that kind of good stuff so we hired a bookkeeper and uh uh that was in in uh i'm gonna say august or september of 2011 so we're you know six months old or whatever and we had 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 to hire a bookkeeper because we now had employees who we had to pay while we're not getting paychecks and we had to hire a bookkeeper to do payroll and do the taxes and and all the l and i and and uh Federal withholding and FICA and all that good stuff, and uh, uh, our our bookkeeper was terrible. She was absolutely a nightmare. She missed two payrolls. We had three employees and she missed two payrolls. Um, we had to get this. We had to get a dispatch software. We couldn't afford a dispatch software, so we we found a free online calendar that Android had. We could use it on our Android tablets. Um, we f- we found this free online calendar, so we would book calls in this free calendar, but. You couldn't tell who put the call in. Um, there, there was glitches. All the calls reverted back to a noon appointment time. Um, it was uh, we had different color codes. Uh, I think Randy was pink and Eric was yellow, and uh, a guy we had named Caesar was green and George was blue or something like that. And it was it was just it was about as hokey as you can get. Um, but anyhow, through all that stuff, we learned. You know, we we persevered. And we and we. Uh, um, one of the things that we didn't do um, was we didn't turn on each other, and that was really, really critical. Um, the three of us, for whatever reason, and again, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, it's not like we interviewed each other and vetted each other really well. We were just three guys who wanted to all do the same thing. Um, but we all, we all have different strengths and weaknesses, and I think we do a good job of recognizing that. And we didn't turn on each other. 
we were certainly frustrated with each other. We were frustrated mostly because we weren't getting a paycheck and we were killing ourselves working seven days a week. Um, you know, I, I can totally relate to many companies where you're doing the work, making, selling, servicing your widgets during the day. And then you go home and from, you know, six o'clock to 10 o'clock at night, you're doing all the invoicing and you're doing the calculations for taxes and you're doing it. And uh, that was our life. Um, you know, we literally were, we're a 24 seven business. And so, um, we were on call, you know, I was on call 14 out of every 20 days and Randy was on call, uh, every other week and Eric was on call every other week. And, um, it was, it was, uh, pretty, pretty gnarly. And to not be making any money during all that time was very stressful and it really pushed our relationships. But again, uh, we never, we never turned on each other. We never, uh, um, we never, we never did that. Uh, we changed our name. We started. We uh, changed our name to Go Rooter. That was going to solve our problems. We wanted to go after because we weren't. Our marketing wasn't working under the plumbing and drain company. We thought the pl- the name sucked, and so we changed our name to Go Rooter, thinking we'd get more high margin excavation jobs and sewer repairs and water lines and all that kind of stuff. And uh, then we changed our name back to the plumbing and drain company because that didn't that didn't work. Um, our call center. We went through five call centers. Um, one one of them, we had a, a company in Idaho that was doing a, a, a call center thing for us for a while. So the way it worked was, if if you called our number and I didn't wasn't at the office, which I never was, because I was always out making sales calls. Plumbing is not an industry where people want to leave voicemails and say, "Hey, I have a sewer backing up in my basement. Could you please give me a call back?" That's not how our industry works. In plumbing, people want to talk to somebody right now. So even to this day, we don't have voicemails in our office. Uh, everybody gets somebody. Everybody gets live first on the phone uh, right now. So in the event that I'm not in the office to answer the phone, which again is always, I'm out making sales calls and stuff, um, unless it was the evening, uh, we had to have a call center set up. Or even if it's the evening and I'm you know, out in the backyard mowing the yard or something like that, we had to have a place for the phone calls to go. So um, we went through five call centers all together. One of them, the one in Idaho I started talking about, um, they used to do everything phonetically. So if you, so if you said, you, you know, I have a plumbing problem, I live on you know, 456 Railroad Street, they would do... R as in railroad, A as in apple, I as in whatever the you know the um, phonetic alphabet is, uh, and so every call took like nine minutes, <laughs> and that was one of our five call centers we went through. Um, it was you know that just every single thing like that was horrendous. My credit was holding us back. You know, like I said, I lost my house in two thousand nine, and uh, uh, that was a challenge. We we couldn't borrow money. We had to do everything on with cash. And we didn't have any cash. Remember, we were paying five thousand dollars for websites that didn't work, and we're paying employees to to um, to work. Um, but the, you know, again, the three partnership thing. I, I've I've heard people talk about really negative things, having partners and things like that. And uh, you know, Doug a couple weeks ago talked about he, he had a bad experience. And I'll say that you know, having th- first of all, having the three of us where we we got along and we understood where each other was coming from. But also, I think there's something to the number three. Because if you have a disagreement with somebody else, there was always the third person there who was not interested in who won the argument, but they were there as a mediator, and that was really critical for us. I think that was uh, that was an important piece of it, um, and we had somebody to share our pain with. I mean, I, I hear tons of folks who start out start a business and they're by themselves and they get nobody to complain to, and that's that's you know that's a lot of stress and a lot of burden to just carry around if you can't get that off your shoulders. And we would just meet once a week and or twice a week sometimes. And just bitch to each other and just complain about how jacked up everything was and how it was crap that our marketing guys all lied to us and all stole money from us for to build websites because everyone every time we turn around, you know, you'd switch marketing companies, they'd say, Oh, your website's a piece of crap. They're, I can't possibly work with that. Well, I just spent 
five grand that a year ago. Well, I know, but it's piece of crap now. I can't, I can't work with that. So we're, you know, just spending money on all kinds of crazy things. And then things started to come together. You know, we found our call center. We found a CPA. Got rid of our bookkeeper. Uh, we moved the business out of my living room into a, an actual little eight by ten office, which seemed like a mansion at the time. I was so happy to have that thing out of my that phone out of my living room and the file cabinets out of my living room, so I could watch TV without looking over and seeing my office sitting right there. Uh, so thankful when that happened. Um, and we stopped trying to make us what we weren't, and we focused and accepted what we were. And now we do ninety nine percent, probably like ninety seven percent commercial. We don't even advertise anymore. If you Google our company name or if you google tacoma plumber or seattle plumber uh you might find us on like page 30 if you get that far if you google the plumbing and drain company i think we're on page seven we literally don't do any advertising uh we only do commercial we only we only aim for commercial we do we do tons of residential but it's mostly referrals from our commercial customers um we got lucky when we needed to there's plenty of times where we just flat got lucky and things just kind of went went our way but we were prepared when that happened and when that 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 certainly helped um, we didn't go into debt because I couldn't, <laughs> we had to do everything with cash. So we couldn't overspend. We couldn't go into debt. So I taught us how to, how to be frugal and how to work within our means. Um, lots of folks go into crazy debt and they have personal credit cards that are, you know, eighty hundred thousand dollars in debt trying to make their business go. We did not make that mistake because we couldn't, um, my credit, you know, wouldn't allow it. Um, we established some very key relationships, uh, with some really, really cool people who have helped us a ton along the way, uh, too many to even bother trying to mention here. Um, and we just began to grow and grow and grow and grow. So we started out with three of us. Um, we now have, I think, 47 employees, 49 employees, somewhere in there. Uh, we had three employees by the end of our first year. We had seven within a few months after that. Uh, and then, you know, we just kept going and going and going. Um, and we got a chance to create our own personality, our own, own, our own culture, uh, we got to implement our do the right thing, uh, which is really important to us. That That is one of the things that um, we wanted to establish in our industry was a company who would do the right thing. And that's not saying we won't make mistakes. We're going to screw up all the time. we got 50 people working for us. You're going to make mistakes. Uh, but we own those things. We learn from them, and we move on. And we uh, um, were able to, to really drive that home for folks. We've grown 28 to 40% each year. Um, you know, Last year, we grew 38%, um, which you know, we, the bigger you get, the harder it is to have growth like that. Um, and we've done it by doing the things we learned from our previous employers that worked well and not doing the things that they did that sucked. <laughs> and, um, and quite frankly, from working our butts off, you know, again, um, it wasn't all that long ago, just a few years ago, we were working tons of crazy hours. Um, and we didn't give up. We didn't give up on each other. We didn't give up on our business. Like Max said last week, we didn't give up on our dreams. Um, we wanted to be in four states, you know, that dream has kind of changed a little bit now, but our goal was to be in Washington, Arizona, Texas, and California. Uh, and there's a reason we, we, we picked those four states. But, um, you know, whether or not that's ever going to happen for us now, probably not. Our goals have probably changed some. But uh, we didn't have we didn't start out wanting to be a seven-truck operation. We would not we would be a three-truck operation had we started out wanting to be a seven-truck operation. We wanted to be a multi-state uh, company. And, um, you know, last year we invoiced over 12,000 jobs. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty staggering number to look at in, in only eight years. Um, and sure, we still face hardships and challenges every day, every month, every year, just like every other business. It, we're certainly not in a situation where we can just say, ah, we've arrived and now things are done. We've checked the box. Now we just go home and, and you know, come in once a week and write checks and go home and, and hammer paychecks. That's, that's not how our world works at all. Um, 
But we stick to what we believe in, and we've been successful by trusting our gut and hiring and taking care of good people. Um, earlier this year, we, we made Tammy, our office manager, we made her a partner. Um, so she's now one of the owners. We've learned from our mistakes. And that's really what this podcast is all about, to kind of come full circle. Um, I, you know, I'm a, I want to open a book when it comes to sharing about our mistakes. I think it's, it's important to have people who will share their mistakes because we learn from mistakes. We don't learn from success. Um, had we not made those five call center blunders and the five marketing blunders, we would still be doing things now that probably weren't as, as uh, successful as they could be. And so I think it's important for folks to um, share this kind of information, be op- open about, hey, here's mistakes I made. I really hope I can find people who are like-minded who will come on and say, hey, I really blew it with this, and, and uh, here's what I wish I would have done. And for all of us listening, can say, oh, okay, well, I'm, I'm heading down the path. I'm, doing, I'm making the same kind of decisions. I better, I better check that and make sure I'm not you know, on a path to make uh, really bad decisions. Um, so, I, you know, again, I've learned stuff in our business. I've learned stuff in, with previous employers in different industries. I've learned from some fantastic mentors. And uh, um, I just want to share our success. Share, when I say our success, I don't mean my success. I mean people I have come on. Share what has helped make them successful. Uh, what has made them work? Uh, what has kept them engaged and and inspired and driven? Um, it's this is none of this stuff is easy. It's really really hard, and especially if you're by yourself, it's really hard to wake up every day and and just get in the trenches and get after it. I'd love to hear about what what make has made people do that. And I don't want to talk to the guy who's running Ford Motor Company. Um, I want to talk to somebody who's got twelve employees or you know three employees or zero employees. And you know how do you do that? Um, and like I say, you learn from uh, your failures or mistakes. You don't really learn as well from success. Um, the goal is to get successful people in here to share their blunders, so we can all have to not have to make the same mistake. You know, one of the things we do in our, in our company is every Tuesday we have a meeting with all of our plumbers, all of our guys in the field, all the supervisors, all the managers, and we go through every single warranty call we had. We go through every single customer complaint we had, and we all learn that same mistake one time. So it would be stupid of us to have to make to have to learn that one mistake thirty-five times by all thirty-five people in the field making that same mistake over and over and over again. Um, it's critical for us in our success that we share all that stuff with each other, and so that when when somebody makes a mistake, they can learn from it, and all their peers can learn from it. Um, so that's what we're doing here. We're learning from mistakes, and we're learning from successes, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. And so my goal is for you to hear something that will make you think. Uh, maybe you hear someone talking about a, a particular bad decision they made, and you think, hey, I'm doing that. And it can help you change a course that might be disastrous for you. It, something I said today might help you from making a $72,000 mistake like I did. Or maybe you hear somebody say, sharing a success story, and you're just and you're doing the same thing that they said that they were doing, and you think, perfect, I'm on the right track. That's exactly what I need to be doing. Uh, you, if you don't have this kind of information out there, you can't ha- get that kind of affirmation either. Uh, anyhow, I hope this kind of somewhat puts in perspective why a guy who's in the plumbing industry is doing a podcast about small business and talking about marketing and talking about process improvement and inventory and sales and sales training and HR and legal and all the good stuff that goes along with it, banking. Um, I hope this kind of puts it in perspective for you. My goal is always to be entertaining and educational. Today probably was not as entertaining as, as I hoped it would be. It's kind of hard to do that when you're just blathering on about your own biography. But my goal every week is to have folks on and be entertaining enough to keep you guys engaged and educational so you walk away with something. And um, uh, that's really what this is all about. So, again, uh, thanks for listening. This is uh, this is me alone for this week, and I'll sign off, and I'll talk to you all next week. 
And uh, next week, we're going to have Kevin House on with Center Collision. Kevin's been in business for I don't know how many years, uh, at least 12, maybe 15 or 12. I'm not sure. We'll ask Kevin next week, but he's been around for a long time. Super successful business, super smart guy, super ethical guy. Uh, just, again, a, a kind of guy you want to hang out with and be around. And uh, uh, that's it for today, folks. So thanks again for listening, and I will talk to you all next week. Um, talk to you then. Bye. Wait.